Well, today is Epiphany Sunday. As we have mentioned, this is the time in the, uh, when the church around the world, after having uh, longed for and mourned the darkness of the world in Advent and longed for the coming of the light of Christ, and then after having celebrated the coming of the light of Christ and the birth of Jesus at Christmas, we now turn our attention at uh, this uh, Epiphany to what it means to bear the light of Christ, to be the light of Christ to one another and to the world around us. This is, the, uh, in many ways, the call and the purpose of the church. We follow Jesus, who is the light of the world, into the world to shed his light into the darkness so that his light will bring healing and restoration and renewal. So this morning I want to explore for a little bit what it means to follow the light of Christ and to bear his light to the world around us. And to do that, I want to look at probably a familiar passage to many of you, and yet uh, rather perplexing and strange on many levels, the story of the Magi, the three kings, the, the wise men, as we know them, coming to meet Jesus and following this light. So let's give our attention to God's word, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. It's in your order of worship. It's also in your pew Bible on page 808. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down, and they worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord. It's absolutely true, and it's given to us in love. Would you pray with me? Our great God, now we ask that you would shine the lights of your son Jesus by the power of your spirit into uh, our lives, that you would illumine our minds, open our ears, open our eyes so that we would see and hear and know that you are, in fact, the light of the world, that we be captivated by your glory and your wonder and see the beauty of your son Jesus. We pray this in his mighty name. Amen. Well, over the last uh, few weeks, I have been experiencing and noticed a fundamental shift in my life and my thinking that just a few years ago was completely unimaginable and unthinkable. I haven't even really shared this with my family yet, but I've been thinking that uh, next Christmas it might be time just to go ahead and get an artificial Christmas tree. (laughs) I know. uh, I'm surprised myself. I realize for some of you, this is a logical next step. Of course, why wouldn't you just get 
an artificial tree. You're going to convince me that they are uh, better than they ever were. It's not the fake trees that we are, might have been used to several years ago. And of course, why would you want a dead tree in your apartment for weeks and weeks, um, getting uh, depressing long after the new year has come? The rest of you, no doubt, are going to be offended and scared for my uh, soul and nervous that you might lose another one to the dark side of an artificial Christmas. But what I need to tell you is that I'm already there. The door has already been opened because of another practice I've accepted into my life, uh, again, that I thought was nearly impossible just a few years ago. And that is, oftentimes I will sit in front of a TV fireplace. You are familiar with the uh, Yuletide Christmas log, uh, television Yuletide log. Uh, it's on all it's network TV around Christmas and on all your various streaming platforms and networks. You can click on a fireplace and it will crackle and uh, give you, uh, give you the, the uh, illusion that you are in front of a fire when you don't have access to a fireplace. Some of this sermon was even written by the cozy fire of a, a TV fireplace. The TV Yule Log is an interesting thing. I don't know why this year, but I've begun to sit in front of it, and I guess eventually, because when you can't have access to a real one, this TV fireplace will do. But even as I've stared at this thing, I've also wondered, what is the actual appeal? I mean, it's not even close to the real thing. The light isn't the same, right? There's no inviting glow, really. The sound isn't the same. I know it crackles, but it's kind of pinging, and it just doesn't really sound like uh, a fire. It doesn't warm the room. It doesn't offer that glorious smell. It doesn't invite people to gather around it. I mean, nobody in my apartment uh, gets together around the TV place and just stands in awe of this fire. We just sort of tolerate it. Uh, in the background. There's nothing dangerous about it. Doesn't, it doesn't need to be contained in any way. It's a false fire. It's a, it's a false light. And yet, I've settled for it. And every time it's on, I think, yeah, this is good enough. This will do. Now, the ring, reason I bring this up is because our passage this morning is about light, and it's about following the light. Actually, following a star to get to the true light, the light of the world that is Jesus. And part of our challenge is those who are following or those who are searching or those who are curious about this light is that it's easy to settle for other lights, lesser lights. We seek the warmth of false lights. It's easy for us collectively to gather around these lesser lights that might promise something close, yet ultimately they're sad imitations of the true light that rescues us and guides us. See, we live in a world of darkness but we also live in a world that is trying very hard to push back that darkness with all sorts of other false lights. And it can be hard to know which light to follow. So Epiphany, in this account of the Magi in Matthew chapter 2, remind us to return to the light, the true light, that actually gives us meaning and significance and hope for ourselves and for our world. Because in Jesus, God reveals the light of salvation for the world. And so I want to explore that in a couple of different ways this morning, um, what it means to follow this light. First, that we follow a disruptive light, then we follow a troubling light, and lastly, we follow a glorious light. So first, we follow a disruptive light. So this passage starts off in rather a surprising way in verse 1, precisely because of the kind of people who show up at the birth of Jesus. It's not really the kind of people you would expect to be first, uh, first at hand when Jesus is born. Uh, who would you expect? Who might we expect? You might expect Elizabeth and Zechariah. I mean, they play such a prominent role just prior to the birth of Jesus. 
Maybe some priests or some really religious people who are thinking about the birth of the Messiah and are ready for it. And so maybe they want to be there to offer their gifts to this, uh, to this child. Maybe the angel Gabriel. If you recall, Gabriel, he's the one that tells Mary that she will have a child. It might be nice for him to show back up once the baby is born with some gifts and, you know, just show up and be like, huh, look, I told you, right? Isn't this kid cute? It's beautiful. And Luke's account does have angels and shepherds coming, but Matthew's account is different. And Matthew has, has a bunch of strangers coming, mysterious magi, wise men. I mean, they were probably magicians or astrologers or sages. It's very unlikely that they were sitting around worshiping God, waiting for the Messiah. They're not like Elizabeth and Mary who are waiting and longing for the Messiah to come. These unexpected and uninvited guests are from Babylon, modern-day Iraq. And they're some of the very first people to show up and to see Jesus. And what Matthew wants us to see immediately upon the birth of Jesus is that the outsiders are going to be drawn to him. In these mysterious wise men from the east, the nations have already begun streaming to him to pay homage to him. And this was always the promise in the Bible. In the Old Testament, time after time, page after page, promise after promise, that when the light would finally dawn in the coming of the long-promised and expected Messiah, the world would be welcomed in. This was our call to worship this morning, and from Isaiah chapter 60. Nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. And now with the Magi coming, they are living this out. Complete outsiders are paying homage, and we'll return to that in a little bit, but what I want you to see right now from this passage this morning is that this light has completely disrupted the Magi's life. It's completely disrupted their lives. They weren't searching for this light. They weren't waiting for this light. They don't even really know where to go. In fact, the light brings them right into danger, right to Herod in Jerusalem before they ever get to Bethlehem. So it's dangerous for them. So what do we make of all this? Well, the Bible tells us that we were made for light and that we were made to live in the presence of God's glorious light. And yet the reality is our world and our lives were cast into darkness because of sin, which means that all of us, all of us in some way are looking for some kind of light, light that's going to bring illumination, light that's going to help us make sense of the darkness of our world and our lives, light that is going to rescue us and deliver us and bring healing and life. And just like the false light of a TV fireplace, we can be drawn to other lights, to lesser lights. There are lots of lights to follow. Epiphany is the invitation, though, to follow the one true light, the king who promises the light that we long for. And it is these princes, these wise men from foreign lands who follow the light and embody what it means to live in this new reality. Jesus is the king, and he welcomes outsiders into his kingdom. But this light, the light that we follow, the light that gives life, life is also a disruptive life, disruptive light. And you have to understand this. The light of Christ puts us on paths and brings us to places where we might not expect. The wise men's lives are completely turned upside down by this light that they follow. Remember, the arrival of Christ has already completely overturned and disrupted Mary's life and Joseph's life. It has completely disrupted now the Magi's life. Later on, Paul, who has at the time Saul, encounters the risen Christ and he's literally blinded by his encounter with the living Jesus, by this light, his life, completely overturned. 
The light of Christ overturns and disrupts every life that it shines in. And it has to. It has to be this way. Jesus' light is too bright. It's too transformative. The promises he makes are too great that it can't help but change us. It can't help but overturn our lives. And so just like the Magi or Mary or Elizabeth or Paul and so many others, there is no way, there is simply no way that you can encounter this Jesus and not have our lives disrupted. Because the only way we are brought out of death and into life is actually to follow this light, the light of Christ, out of the darkness, away from the other lights, and to his very self. And what, we, and what will always disrupt our lives and our plans is this calling of this light. This light brings the disruption that we actually need in our lives. This is actually one of the ways that you know if you're actually following the true light. The way you know if you're really following the light of Christ. Is your life disrupted? Is the light of Christ disrupting your life in any way? Do your plans change? Does Jesus dictate your daily schedule, your weekly schedule? Does his light change what you do with your time and with your money? Does the light of Christ change how you pursue relationships, what you do in those relationships? Does it, does it affect how you live alongside your neighbors? Does the light of Christ shape your hopes for this new year? Is the light of Christ disrupting your life in any way? If it's not, it's entirely possible that you're following a lesser light. But that's the first thing we see. The Magi's life is completely disrupted. So we follow a, dis a disruptive light, but we also follow a troubling light. The story isn't just about Magi following the light. It's, again, in verse 1, it's also we're introduced to Herod. And Herod, Matthew reminds us that the birth of Christ takes place in the days of King Herod. And Herod casts a deep darkness over this entire story, over the entire birth of Jesus, namely because he thinks he is the light. He thinks he is the light that ought to be followed and worshipped. And that's why he's so troubled when the Magi show up in Jerusalem looking for the king. The wise men show up in verse 2 saying, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was greatly troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. I mean, this is an astonishing statement. Not just Herod, but all of Jerusalem was troubled at the arrival of this light. And so what we see is that even though the Magi are coming and the nations will soon be streaming to pay honor to this child born in a manger, not everyone is welcoming this light. Not everyone is welcoming the news of the birth of Jesus. And this is what the Magi learn as they follow this light that takes them curiously to Jerusalem before they get to Bethlehem. The news of the light is not welcomed by everyone. But the interesting thing about Herod is that Herod actually, I think, understands. At least Herod gets what's going on as he gets this news, as the wise men show up. I mean, why would Herod care? Why should he care about a baby born to, uh, to a, a couple of nobodies out there in Bethlehem? How can this baby be a threat to his kingdom? Well, he's troubled because he knows his time will soon be up. Because as the nations start arriving in these three wise men, this must be something, this must mean something. And of course, then he consults the chief priests and the scribes, and it dawns on him that this baby born in Bethlehem is to no one of worldly consequence, is actually a threat to his power and to his authority. See, he knows that the real king, 
The true king has come, and every other king, every other power, both visible and invisible, is going to bow to this king. Every other nation will one day bow before him. See, Jesus, from the moment he was born and all throughout his life and his ministry, was a comforting presence to all those who saw him as king, but he was very much a troubling presence to political authorities, to religious authorities, even to, even to demons. He was a troubling presence because they all knew that every other light was going to be consumed by the light of Christ. And all darkness will be exposed and everything will be transformed. And that means Jesus is a troubling light to those who refuse to yield their power to him. That's why Herod is so troubled. And he knows it. This too is one of the key themes that happens all throughout the scriptures. Light is always emerging out of the darkness. I mean, it's there on the first page of the Bible. The very first words we hear on the first day of creation, the words we hear from God are, let there be light. And from that, this light is now pushing back darkness, pushing back the chaos and pushing it away. And then the prophet Isaiah, again, was longing for a day when God would push back once again the darkness. And he says again in, in, in Isaiah chapter 60, For behold, darkness has covered the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. I mean, that's creation language, once again, that Isaiah is hoping and longing for. Not just a, now, just like creation, for Isaiah, this thick darkness of sin and rebellion and death that has covered the earth. And now, with this looming darkness of King Herod, who is darkness himself, now all that's going to be wiped away. Herod is the one offering a false light, a deep darkness, and he is troubled by these magi coming to see another king. And he knows his days are numbered. This is what Mary sang of when Mary received news that she was going to be the mother of the Christ child. In Luke 1, she says that God has shown his strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their throne. And he exalts the hum, those of humble estate. We follow a troubling light. And that should bring us hope as well. Because this king we worship and behold is the one who has come to wipe away every tear, to lift up the needy, to overturn injustice, and to destroy darkness. It's darkness that is troubled by the light of Christ. It's death, it's evil that is troubled. And this king now reigns in heaven, having conquered the darkness by his death and resurrection, and his light will never be put out. His light will never be extinguished. It will never be consumed by another light. And so as we face a new year, with all sorts of economic uncertainty and wars that are continuing to rage and also intensify, as we face another exhausting, contentious presidential election year, there is much that we can be troubled about. There is much that can plunge us into darkness, global darkness, national darkness, personal existential darkness. And yet, we are called to live with hope, with real and certain hope, because Jesus, in the end, defeats Herod. Herod had a, was right to be troubled. Remember, at Epiphany, we are thinking about our shared mission together as a church and how we are to bear the light of Christ to the world that oftentimes looks dark and troubling and dangerous and oftentimes is dark and trouble, troubling and dangerous. But the Magi follow a light that is greater than Herod, more powerful than any darkness, and so they can follow this light with courage and with hope and with humility. 
now that their king has come. And the same is true for us. To be a follower of Jesus means we follow a victorious king who is with us even in a troubled world. And he promises never to leave us, never to forsake us. And so the invitation for us is to keep our eyes on this king, on Jesus, to pay attention to his word, to take up his calling to bring this good news to a troubled world. And we don't have to despair. We don't have to live in fear. We don't have to be troubled because Jesus is the light of the world. So we follow a disruptive light. We follow a troubling light. And lastly, we follow a glorious light, which is to ask, in some ways, why follow this light? I know not all of you are Christians here, and you might be asking, well, if the light is so disruptive and it's so troubling in the world, why follow this light? And it's a question that we all must ask ourselves day in and day out. Why worship him? Why do what the Magi did and lay our greatest gifts before Jesus' feet? Well, the answer Matthew gives us is because the light is so glorious. It's because the light of Jesus is so beautiful. That's why we do it. Look at the reaction of the Magi in verses 9 through 11. Finally, they're on their journey. They've gone through Jerusalem. Now they're at Bethlehem. And this is what we read in 9 to 11. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. See, the Magi are filled with joy and they fall down and they worship Jesus. His light is glorious because it welcomes outsiders like Magi. It is glorious because it is so gracious. He is glorious because he is so gracious. And it is his love and grace that welcomes us into his presence and into his life. And see, these magi realize that at long last they've set their eyes upon Jesus. And what they know is that he was worth the journey. He was worth all of the risk. And he is worthy of their greatest gifts, of everything that they have. And see, this story is going to get played out now time and time again, all throughout the life and the ministry of Jesus. And on into the beginning of, the, uh, of Acts as the church begins to take shape around, uh, around Jesus and his spirit. It's going to be unlikely converts. Outsiders, the unclean, the broken, the weak, the grieving, the confused, the rebellious, the hard-hearted, the desperate, the skeptics. They will all encounter the glorious Jesus and behold him and see him for what he is, to see his, his infinite worth and his glorious majesty. And they will give up everything. They will give up everything to follow him. Do you see his light? Do you see it? See, you must behold his light and see how beautiful this Jesus really is. Do you see his gracious, glorious light as he draws the world to himself? Do you see yourself as the recipient of this gracious, beautiful light? Because that's exactly who you are. And see, here's the thing, as I said in the beginning, it's not so much the darkness. It's not so much the darkness, but it's the other competing lights that oftentimes blind us to the light of Jesus, or at least distract us from the far more glorious light of Jesus that promises to push back the darkness. But they can't do it. All those other lights, all the other lights we follow, they just can't do it. 
I mean, there's the dim glow of our phones, right, that promise to push back the darkness of our boredom and our loneliness and offer us the false light of community and pleasure and influence. It's not going to do it because it's a false light. There's the bright light of career achievement and advancement that promises to push back the darkness of our own perceived insignificance and our own insecurities. If we can just advance a little bit more, if we can just get on the right career path, if we can just get to the next step to get the right job or find the right way, then we'll be fine. Then we'll find the light that we're looking for. It's a false light. There's the dizzying light of political agendas that promise to push back the darkness of the other side, the people that we disagree with, those people who are blinded by their ignorance. And those people are going to be different depending on what side you might find yourself on. It's a false light. It is a false light that will never push back the darkness. And there's the blinding light of the enlightenment, which we're all living in, that promises that the inner light, the light from within each of us, will allow us to reach our full potential and push back the darkness of lost dreams and unfulfilled potential. That if we can just find the right life hack, if we can just figure out how to do this life right, if we can just find the right patterns and habits, just do things the right way, then we can unlock the inner light within us. And somehow we'll be okay. And then, then we will shine as bright as the sun. Listen, every day, every moment of your life, you and I are invited, encouraged, coerced, forced to follow and behold all these lights and so many others. And we're asked to give ourselves to them our time, our energies, our hearts, our relationships, our loves to them, and to situate, situate our lives around these other lesser lights. But they're all poor imitations. They're all false lights. They're all distractions from the one true light that is Jesus. They're distractions from the true light that we actually need to behold. It is only the light of Jesus that calls you. It's only the light of Jesus that rescues you out of the darkness. It's only the light of Jesus that loves you and calls you sons and daughters. Only this light can defeat the darkness of sin and death, which is why he is worthy of worship. It is why he is worthy of our adoration. He is the light you are looking for. He is the light that you are longing for. He is the light that your neighbors are looking for. He is the light that they are longing for. And that is why we lay ourselves down at his feet and not at the feet of the Herods of this world. Because those are only false lights, and they actually end up enslaving us into greater darkness. And so if we're going to follow the light of Christ and be the light of Christ for one another and for our neighbors and for our friends and for the world, we must behold the glory of his light. We must cast our eyes upon Jesus, just like the Magi did, and worship him. We must resist the temptation to find the light from within us and instead look outside of ourselves to the light of our Creator, our Redeemer, our King, and our Bridegroom. And we do this. We do this as we gather here together. This is what we're doing right now in our, in our worship service. We're beholding our King Jesus. We do it when we gather in our community groups. We do it in our daily habits and practices of prayer and scripture reading. But because there are so many other lights, we must give ourselves always to beholding the beautiful light of Jesus. Because it won't come naturally to us. It never comes easy. So we must continually behold this light so that we can offer to one another and to the world. You know, in those cold winter nights when I'm sitting in front of a fake TV fire, 
I sometimes can convince myself in a weak moment, you know what, this is fine. This will do. This is okay. I can almost convince myself that this is good enough. But then I sit in front of a real fire, whether it's in a fireplace or around a campfire or an outdoor fire, and I feel its warmth. I experience its intensity, its beauty. You see its power. And I see how it gathers people around it and becomes the center of the life together for that moment and of everything. And I realize, wow, what I have doesn't even compare. The TV fireplace is nothing compared to the real thing. Nothing compares to it. Friends, this is why, this is what we do when we proclaim with our mouths and our lives and as we move out into the world. Nothing compares to the light of Christ. He is the incomparable. He is the glorious. He is the beautiful light. There is no other light worth following. And as we cling to this light and run from the false lights that, we, that offer that false hope, this is what we're doing. We are showing and displaying the beautiful light of Christ. And this is why Matthew is inviting us to come to him, just like the Magi did. Come to Jesus. Come to him by whatever route you can. And with the best gifts you can, with what, whatever you have to offer, get into his presence and behold the glorious, disruptive, troubling, beautiful light of Jesus. No other light compares. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, you are the light of the world. You are the light that pushes back the darkness that is so ever-present in our world and in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, this darkness overwhelms us and you know that we are so tempted and so easily we chase after other lights just to deal with the darkness. Oh God, this day would you make us a people who behold your wondrous light, who dwell on it, who delight in it, who take hope in it, who take hope in your son Jesus so that we would be transformed, that we might bear this beautiful light to the world that so desperately needs it. We pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.